From Double J, it's the Take 5 podcast. The people you love play the songs they love and tell you why. When I say Tom Waits, where does your mind go? To a late-night piano ballad heard in a whiskey-soaked bar? A garage of found sounds and mysterious stories? Maybe to avant-garde theatre? Or to some of the biggest pop hits of the 80s, made famous by other voices? For me, Tom Waits is the soundtrack to my life. I first found him in about 1993. There was an American exchange student who came to my high school English class and pressed a copy of Rain Dogs into my hands. I was hooked from the first listen. I went back and forward through his huge discography and discovered this crooner who would develop his own ragged style and continually push the boundaries of the music he made, sonically, lyrically, theatrically, in every way. Tom took me to another world. For a while, I would play Blue Valentine on my radio show every single Valentine's Day, and for a long time, I desperately hoped he would tour. But he never did. Tom Waits hasn't toured Australia since 1978. The last album he gave us was Bad As Me back in 2011, and when he was thinking about how to promote it, he decided he didn't want to do any straight interviews. But he liked the idea of the Take 5, of picking five songs that had somehow inspired his latest record. He gave me the only radio interview in the world. I couldn't believe my luck. The day rolled around and I went into a little radio studio and Skyped Tom Waits, shaking with excitement and disbelief. I remember when he first said my name, I felt like I would crumble. Zan, how are you? Is that... uh... Short for Alexandra. Over the next little while, you'll be lending your ears to this poet, opening up about his own music and the music he loves. Tom is a man with a keen eye for stories in the so-called mundane. He's got a vivid imagination and speaks almost in beat poetry form. It's like he's dancing with all of us and never missing a move. He's also very playful. When I asked him where he was, he took us in to one of his tales. Oh, you mean where am I? Uh, literally, where am I? Yeah, physically. I'm at the barber shop as usual. <laughs> just hanging out? Yeah. Any quartets there with you or are you just solo? No, no, just me and my uh, uh, Guns and Ammo magazine and uh, I'm third in line for my buzz cut. All right, we'll see if we can get the take five done before the haircut. You, you've been observing the world and, and singing back at it for decades, Tom. Do you still find plenty to be inspired by or disgusted by? Mm. Well, there's never any shortage of material, that's for sure. I, uh, my, my feeling is that songs kind of live in the air and, you know, you kind of reach up with pliers and, and pull them down, you know. They're, uh, if you don't want it, somebody else will. You know, I, I, I know tunes are... are are strange little uh, vessels of emotional information. They're writing them down. It's kind of like uh, letting the air out of a balloon very slowly and, and then naming it. You know? I'm rather mystified by the whole thing, which is probably why I continue doing it. You know? <laughs> it's good to hear the mystery is still alive then after many years of making music. Oh, yeah. We're going to start with the first choice. What do you want to go with? You've got a list of songs here. What do you want the first choice to be, Tom? Let's see. What did we had? We had the Stones thing and then... Um, well, why don't we start with the oh, Stones? Yeah, okay. Start with the Stones. Why not? That's, yeah, good idea. Tell, tell me about this one. It's interesting that you chose this because 
Exile on Main Street uh, recently reissued and one of the more interesting recording processes for the Rolling Stones. I Just Want to See His Face is the song you've chosen. Tell me about mm. why, why you chose this one and, and how in particular it relates to the recording or the writing of Bad As Me. I, I can't say that there's any real gen, you know, linear connection to what uh, the record is. It's just a song. You know, songs kind of live in you once you've heard them. They they do kind of install themselves in you somewhere. And then and, and there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, we're all just, uh, you know, uh, doing bad impersonations of uh, each other, I guess. Anyway, I... I you know, it's just been a song that I've, I've always loved since I heard it. Uh, it's way back since before I was even able to sing in falsetto myself. And I, I was rather taken with Jagger's uh, a vocal on this. And then, uh, yeah, it's Keith uh, Richards on the electric organ. It just seemed like one of those things that came together in, in kind of a magnetic and and uh, uh, seemed like he, he came off more like a shaman conducting the song rather than a tune that they'd all learned and taught each other and decided to record. It just felt like it kind of erupted out of the studio, kind of like a like Tourette's or uh, something like that. So that, that's that's why I picked it, I guess, because it. At, at its best, that's what recording really is. You know, it's, it's something that uh, that just kind of forms in the in the room like like weather, and that, you know, and then you uh, get out your raincoat if you're lucky. Tom Waits' next choice, Captain Beefheart's China Pig. I'm not 
I guess uh, I was mystified when I first heard it. I wasn't fully able to understand that, in fact, it was a, a story about a young kid who was going to have to open up his piggy bank with a fork, you know? And, and, and I remembered that whole ritual from when I was a kid. And uh, of course, in those days, yeah, you, you may have a, a, a piggy bank that didn't have a, any other way of getting the money out except by putting a fork in, in its back. And, and to hear that detail in the story just floored me. And uh, of course, he's one of our uh, most original uh, voices. Um, in, in music, I'd say original in just about any field would have to acknowledge that he's a, you know, he came and, and he's gone and he's not coming back. But he's a brilliant uh, creator of forms and, um, and, and uh, there's no, no one in the world like him. And uh, it's hard to uh, do anything other than stop what you're doing and listen to him when he's playing. And uh, I'm a huge, uh, believer in, in him and his, uh, and his music. When he passed away at the end of last year, many people looked to you for your thoughts, uh, him being, you know, I guess very tied to the music that you make as well. Would you say he's one of your great influences, one of your great inspirations through your own musical life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think that once you've, uh, you've heard Beefheart, you, you can't really go back to uh, the other way. Um, I think he leaves his impression on you. I don't think there's any other way that it can be. Um, of course, he had his own influence as well. You know, you know he was a huge uh, fan of, of Howlin' Wolf. And Everything fight about a spoon. That spoon, that spoon, that spoon. All the, uh, Charlie Patton. the whole uh, Delta blues genre, but, uh, you know, he really did take it to another, another level. And, uh, I mean, I guess that's really what you, you, you hope for. You, you're really here to, to plant a few things and then go. And then hopefully, uh, others will enjoy what you left here after you're gone. You know, we're all just, uh, you know, drawing in the dirt with a stick, aren't we? <laughs> Is it true that Kathleen, your wife and, and songwriting partner, introduced you to Captain Beefheart all those years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she had all his records. She had a remarkable record collection. My, my records all had, uh, like, cheese on them and, and <laughs> hair and, and pennies stuck to them and uh, glue and gum. And, you know, they were all kept in a sack, you know. Uh, but she actually cared for her records, which was... I thought it was remarkable and thrilling. But yeah, she had all, all Beefheart's records. And, and she had actually the only uh, only known uh, Beefheart t-shirt that I had ever seen in my life, really. And, and then or, or since. What did it have on it? <laughs> uh, I think it was ice cream for Crow. Don't shake my hand. Have you still got the T-shirt in the drawers at home? It's somewhere around here. <laughs> how, 
how often does that happen, Tom, that people around you, whether it's close family members or, or friends, are introducing you to new music? Are people always putting records in your hand and saying, you have to listen to this? Oh, gee, I don't know. Um, it all goes down into you someplace where it, it, it's all a melting pot, really, isn't it? Uh, whether it's uh, Mabel Mercer or Tiny Tim or Dick Sean. Or- Golly, what a day that's going to be. He'll come marching up there. I'll give out the call. yippee doodly do. <laughs> It'll be a quiet revolution. Or Lee Marvin or Ernest Borgnine or, or Nick Cave or... Come sail your ships around me And burn your bridges down Or Bill Hicks or... Some people have been on the ride for a long time and they begin to question, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered and they come back to us and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid ever because this is just a ride and we kill those people. <laughs> Hubert Sumlin or, or, or Ricky Jay or, you know, John Jacob Niles. Go away from my window, go away from my It all gets stirred up at a certain point, and hopefully, what comes out is is what you you hope you've you've found your own voice amidst all that. And, um, but I think you start out trying to sound like somebody else. I mean, even Ray Charles was trying to sound like Nat King Cole, but there already was one, you know. So he really had to to dig deep and and find out uh, where where there was there something on another level that he had yet. To discover, so you know, every everybody's uh, trying to find. But at the same time, that I don't really think that there is anything genuinely new under the sun. You know, you get to be king of the glove compartment or or king of the uh, the fishbowl for a while, and then uh, then you're gone. You know? Do you think that you found your voice, or are you still looking in, in some ways? Oh well, no, I found a voice. I, I think there's other voices in there, and I'm still looking for them. It's more like an actor, you know, say, well, yeah, I play a lot of murderers or, or uh, husbands or, uh, you know, someday I'd like to play a, a coal miner or a snake charmer or something. You know, I mean, there's always, um, I think inside every song there, there are other songs. And I also think inside your voice, there are other voices that, that you've yet to, uh, to discover. And, and that's kind of the reason you're here. We're going to go next to a guy that I've not heard of before. I had a look at a very clean-cut looking Texan who operated, I guess, in the country music genre in the States around the sort of 50s. Jim Reeves is his name. Put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone, the name of this song. Tell me about Jim Reeves, Tom, and why you chose this song. Oh, one of my wife's favourite uh, singers, I think anybody who... Uh, who grew up uh, going to the bars with their dad uh, and, uh, you know, had in some way been influenced by Jim Reeves just because he's on so many jukeboxes. His whole goal was to be able to sing and hold a candle uh, two inches from his lips and not blow it out, you know. He had a very intimate, rich low uh, baritone, really, and uh, and the songs are really uh, 
no question that they're, they're of another time and, and uh, a particular genre, but I think the time was um, that that one song on, on our uh, record uh, was somewhat inspired by Jim Reeves, which uh, the one called uh, um, Put Me Back in the Crowd. Take my picture from the frame You know that his voice is very close. The the songs are 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 really um, the kind that kind of go in your ear and stay there. And uh, one of my favorites and one of my wife's favorites. Put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone. Let's pretend that we're together. song from Tom Waits is Elvis Presley's Heartbreak Hotel. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of a lonely street, that Heartbreak Hotel, where I'll be, I'll be just a lonely baby. Well, I'm so lonely, I'll be just a lonely, I could die. Although it's always crowded, you still can find some room. A, uh, an inspiration for this song, and the, and the line was, "I walk a lonely street." Apparently, it was a, a line in a suicide note that was uh, left by a, a gentleman, and um, I think it was May Axton that uh, read the obit, and in, in it was the uh, the the story of of his uh, his his. Um, suicide, and I think that what they did is they 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 felt like they really wanted to get that that line in a in a song. I walk a lonely street, and I think they realized that if there if you're walking a lonely street, there must be somewhere at the end of that that street there must be a hotel, and it started as as kind of a a daydream about that. 
that that's a a rough you know uh, <laughs> thumbnail uh, sketch of of some of the origins of that song, but uh, I I always feel that all songs have reasonably humble beginnings and. Um, you know, they they usually take something very ordinary and turn it into something very exotic, or or sometimes it's the other way around. You've written over so many years and so many songs that I can't even imagine asking you a question like "What comes first? because that's just silly. But I guess in terms of the sonics of your sound, you know, of of, of your songs, does it often happen that a particular sound will inspire a story that? some found sound or some strange instrument that you stumbled across will then lead you to a story that will flesh out what has begun as just music? Oh, yeah. I think a lot of times with, with, with people who write songs, you're just looking for the, the tail and you want to, you know, you, you hopefully you're just going to pull on the tail and I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to uh, define. It's, it's a rather mysterious uh, process. Um, I think some songs are come out of the ground just like a potato, and 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 you wonder how how it was so simple. And other other tunes, uh, somebody told me that hey, look, songs are either really easy to write or they're impossible. Do you have a favorite sound? You know, I used to love those uh, uh, the, the the Foley guys who do sound for for films. Uh, uh, it's really amazing what they use to create sounds that we all are familiar with in film, but we, we have no idea what the origin of it is. Like like bones breaking, you know, they'll take a, a pack of lifesavers and they'll they'll put the mic really close to it and they'll chomp down on the lifesavers and it and, and it's like the sound of breaking bones. Or you know the the uh, pops and clicks that you get from vinyl mm. is almost exactly the sound as as a chicken barbecuing on the grill. <laughs> How much of a song is discovered and, and fleshed out after you've gone into the studio to record? Sometimes you, uh, you know, you groove for a while until something happens. You know. These songs were fairly well completed, I would have to say. But, you know, until a song's recorded, it isn't really finished. That's the way I look at it anyway. Regardless of what your plan was, the the song itself has a plan of its own, and you need to be sensitive to that as well. Sometimes you just need to get out of the way. You just need to know when to duck. (laughs) The way that you talk about songs is very much like they're their own living entities, like maybe you're just someone guiding them on the next part of their journey, that they're very separate to you. (laughs) Well, they're all different, and... uh, you know, they come, they, like I said before, some of them do come out of the ground. And um, some of them you need to really coax. And um, you know, some of them won't even allow themselves to be recorded. The shy songs. Those are the real, say what? The shy the songs. shy songs. Or, or, or I always assume they're filled with shame for some reason. <laughs> One of the things that is current throughout all of your music up until this day and, you know, again with Bad As Me, which is a great album, is this attraction to the beautiful losers of the world. What is it about particular kinds of humans um, that seem to have a, a beautiful tragedy about them that keeps you coming back to tell their stories? I don't know. Um, 
maybe sometimes you you may write a song about someone who wouldn't normally be uh, have his story told. Not everybody gets their story told, and um, but a lot of times I make stuff up too. You know, I mean, truth truth is so overrated. You go listen. I I got an idea. You play uh, play the Beastie Boys. After that, you you play. Uh, 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 Hell broke loose because th- that was somewhat of an inspiration in terms of the groove, at least. And uh, well, big fans of theirs. And um, that was kind of an unconventional song, the uh, the drill uh, drill sergeant uh, number. Um, they're they're actually want to use it for a a, a, a recruiting uh, advertisement for the army now. This is really crazy. They they think it would be a perfect uh, song to uh, for for rec- you know for new recruits. <laughs> I can't imagine that sitting well with you, Tom. I can't imagine it it happening at all. <laughs> I can, I'm winding you up here, um, <laughs> but um, anyway, I thought those two would go good back to back. Just uh, just uh, I would be curious to see what they sound like back to back. Well, this is, I mean, this is your take five, and that is indeed what we're finishing with. Okay, good. I'm up. My, it's my turn for a haircut, so uh, <laughs> take a bye. Broke Loose from Tom Waits and some Beastie Boys, winding out of Tom Waits taking five with the songs that inspired Bad As Me. I still can't believe that happened and I'm so happy to be able to share that conversation from 2011 with you here on the podcast. If you're new to the Take 5, you can find even more of these wonderful conversations right here. In fact, Mike D of Beastie Boys is among them. 
You'll hear Josh Homme playing his songs for now, showing me a side of him I'd never seen before. And you may not know the name, but Mary Ramos has crafted the soundtracks to all of Quentin Tarantino's films since Pulp Fiction. She's on there too. Dive in. There's heaps to discover. Just click subscribe and there are plenty of Take Fives waiting just for you. This is Sarah Blasco. Hi, this is Rachel from Slow Dive. Hi, this is Beck, and I'm taking five with Zam. Thank you, Zam. The Take Five podcast. The people you love play five songs they love and tell you why.